Hello and welcome to the First Issue Club podcast. We are here today. Um, what's the day today? It's like Memorial Day, which is when we're recording. So uh, I'm uh, Budget King in the club today. We have Mike DeStacy. Hey. Uh, we have Caitlin and we have Greg Lichtai. That's their last names. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> welcome to the. Uh, comic book reading club where we read number one comics weekly and we hope that you join us in our reading club as we lead you through the muddy and sometimes murky water that is the comic book landscape for weeks upon weeks there has not been new comic books coming out and finally that butt plug has been removed and the effervescent flow of comic books is rushing upon us like a trickle though how does and- it feel <laughs> Uh, it feels great. Uh, Sweet release. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does. It feels like like a scab that's fully healed, and you got to pick it off, and then you're like, it doesn't burst out blood everywhere. You're like, oh, that's relieving. I and then feel... you can see where it used to be, but it's no longer a burden to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like all the uh, speculation of like comics will never be the same. And then I go back into my comic shop, and I was like, haven't missed a beat. I like my comics, please. <laughs> comics are the same. It's like nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I love that came out of uh, COVID that we've been doing is we've been uh, – because digital comics didn't really stop producing, so we've been having an eye towards some digital releases. Um, and that's what we did today. Um, we are covering Bad Karma by Alex DeCompi. Um, I think that's how you say her last name. And then we are also covering Ludocrats by Karen Gillan. Um, and that's a physical comic book on Image Comics. So, uh, but the digital one uh, that I mentioned, Bad Karma, is on one of our favorite publishers, Panel Syndicate, uh, which we also did Friday, and we've done some other comic book coverage over there. Those are pay what you want. You can have this comic book right now. You could even stop this podcast. You could go read it and come back, and then your experience with re- this, listening to this podcast would be like it would it would be like you uh, you took a pre workout mix. <laughs> yep. Um, so uh, you would think because we spent an hour just. An hour and 15 minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> just trying to get ready for this podcast that we would have talked about. What news hits would we want to talk about before this podcast? But it eluded us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could talk about what we talked about on the Patreon, which is the Snyder Cut finally getting released. Yes. On our Patreon, we talked about the Snyder Cut finally getting released, um, which is because we did. We got it first, and we pressured we leaked it, and then we pressured Snyder himself to release it, release it on HBO, which is crazy. Which is kind of our bad, but I guess everyone can thank us now. <laughs> <laughs> um, boy, the analytics on that episode, huh? Uh, they're skyrocketing. I, oh, I, boy. It, yeah. All the lists. In the millions. It's tough to even go back and look at our back end because it just is like... Yeah. Um, you really tell the shift of when we were just like an okay podcast into like a star-studded superstar podcast. <laughs> uh, and it, it was the Zack Snyder episode. One thing we talked about on the Patreon, which is funny, is that this may be the first actual movie I watch on HBO uh, on the like app or whatever, HBO Max or Go or whichever version I have. 
right? Because only but only anybody ever owns that to like watch TV shows. I I've never I've never booted up a movie on it. There are a lot to get into. I just have I've, over I've, two hours. I've, I've I have better apps for that. Netflix yeah. like destroys it for that. I'm never gonna be like, mm, what does HBO possibly have that Netflix doesn't have? Let me just see, just to configure and figure it out. I don't do that. I can't help you riff on this one. You can't? Okay, that's okay. I don't have HBO Max. <laughs> it's eluding me a little. Okay. Hey. All right. I don't need. I don't need you to riff. The people that know know, and they're like, "Damn, Budget King. He that's a that's a good take." <laughs> The take that we don't watch movies on HBO just gets you thinking, you know, for what it was and now for what it is. <laughs> it's the world we live in. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so comic books came out. They did a third printing of... Is that all we want to say about the Snyder Cut? I mean, we talked to Ad, Ad Infinitum on the Patreon. Yeah. What else is there to say? It's coming out. I don't know. It's, yeah. Oh, you know what I almost watched last night? Bloodshot. No, oh, oh. I still need to watch that. But yeah, me too. But it's like full still 1999. To I guess oh, or no. it's like it was expensive to like rent, and the cover doesn't look that good. So I just finished up um, uh, Midnight Gospel instead, which was well worth it. <laughs> um, did anybody go into their physical shop this week? I did. It felt really good to buy comics. Um, there was a mask ordinance at my shop. Some people tried to come in uh, without masks during my visit, and the owner politely told them, hey, you've got to have masks to enter. Do you guys have any? And they were like, ugh, no, what? <laughs> like really huffed and puffed about it. Of course, because and now it goes, it's politics and it's left leaning. Yeah, and then I was as I was leaving, I saw like a million people walking into an Ace Hardware with like old people, young people, like definitely not six feet apart, and no one was wearing masks. And I was like, I am in Kansas. <laughs> and people are like protesting the. You think that this is a problem? You, tell me this analogy is wrong. Are the same people that get offended by not wearing masks the same people that are like, I don't wear condoms because it feels better and just <laughs> just risk it? Well, I mean, there's an overlap of they're both idiots. But I mean, <laughs> I think people who don't wear condoms probably still want to wear masks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not a good, the Venn diagram, there's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> there's a slight overlap of recklessness, but uh, one's for pleasure and one's for stupidity. I could see sometimes the masks pull on my ears, so the same pleasure of my same with the condom. Right? Yeah, my <laughs> the ears, <laughs> my foreskin being pulled against. You're not supposed to put your balls in the condom. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there was no Marvel comics back yet, um, and it was weird to walk by that wall and just be like nothing new, and then to see all of the Marvel comics that were still on the wall. And have none of them be new, I was just like, man, this is like a veritable comics graveyard. Like, so many comics just go to die here. Uh, <laughs> and that's got to be at like every shop, right? That mm -hmm. you get your handful of variants that make the larger order worth it. And then everything else just rots on this shelf. It's, hey. it's so much easier to miss when there's like 
a mix of all these new books you're excited for. And then you just like wait for your dollar sale that comes once a year, I guess, to get rid of them or something. Right, yeah. To liquidate like, them because you're not going to make money on them now. But the thing is that everyone who cares is has already bought those comics because they're following the story or they've bought a graphic novel. You're only buying dollar comics for covers, correct? Or like if you think you have some weird intel about spec that somebody else doesn't have. Yeah, yeah like it's, it's either you're filling holes, you like the cover, or there's some kind of speculation going on. Because, yeah, I don't know. I just don't see myself being like, oh, I'd like to get into this book. I'll buy number three. <laughs> uh, and, and the off chance that like I remember that I'm missing number seven and it happens to be in a dollar bin, like I'm never going to recognize that and, and make that purchase. Yeah. Plus the idea that you're going to sift through like thousands of comics and find the one that you realize you're missing from your collection. Uh, rough. It's just a covers game for me. That's um, my nightmare whenever Greg finds those dollar bins because he is the person that wants to sift through every single one and he is the person that has his app open. So he knows which runs like we need to complete. And granted, I have benefited from that several times, but it is always like very daunting. I'm like, here we go. Here's three hours. He's found a dollar bin. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, Mike D is familiar because I've dragged him to (laughs) enough comic shops. Yeah, we've done this. Or thrift stores, because that will also be a trap. <laughs> the thing about thrift stores is they don't know what they have, and they don't know how to even price it. And they're, when they see like a book, they're like, "Oh, this is a comic book. Comic books are hot right now. Uh, six bucks for Goofy <laughs> Takes Manhattan." <laughs> and then they're also just yeah. sitting there without a bag and a board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they're like, on eBay, this says it's nine dollars. Yeah. They pull it out from underneath like a crock pot or something or just like, oh, you like comic books? And it's like, I used to. What the fuck is that thing? (laughs) I don't need Deathlock number one. It's all bent up. Yeah. It's got a shiny cover, though. Five bucks. Yeah. So did every cover in the 90s. (laughs) Patty. That's the weird thing about vinyl, though, is like if it was just stored up like vertical, you you could buy it and it would still be valuable. You know, like nobody's like... As long as it's like playable still, people still pay pretty good price for a, a rare vinyl. But like that comic book, man, it's <laughs> not likely yeah. to have any value at a thrift store. The hunting is very similar to those two things. I never really thought about that. But, you know, you walk into a place as a music fan and you see a stack of old vinyl and you go like, oh, hell yes. It's not like I'm definitely cruising through that. It's going to be fun to see what they have. And on the off chance that I find something good is going to be like an adrenaline rush for my brain. All the good endorphins of finding treasure. Yeah. It is treasure hunting. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, you know, they're always just going to be those like Bing Crosby Christmas albums that you always see. And, um, yeah. So that was, uh, we're now back into normalcy. America has returned to normal. Comic books can be bought (laughs) in comic book stores and the the pain Throw in the your masks off in solidarity. <laughs> Cough on one another. We're all back. We made it through it. We're still, as you can kind of hear a little bit of the auto quality, we're still recording in four different places, three different places. Um, but uh, we got some cool books to cover today. So you guys got anything else? No, let's get to it. Let's get this podcast 
Greg's just resorted to syllables. And now we have ludicrats. Ludicrats? Ludicrats? I don't even know. One of the two. It's a made-up word, so... Ludocrats. Ludocrats. Ludicrous aristocrats. (laughs) Yes. This is on Image Comics. It is by Karen Gillan, Jim Rosengall, and um, the guy who did The Spire uh, and Six-Gun Gorilla, Jeff Stokely. Uh, Just so you guys know, if you don't know, the club is uh, very big fans of Karen Gillan. Karen Gillan um, did... Lots of great, like kind of like British pop culture stuff with Phonogram or The Wicked and Divine. And then most recently has been doing Die and uh, Once in Future. Did a Darth Vader run. Um, epically kind of just doesn't really write bad books. Um, so is, is, is amazing. So when we saw like, hey, comic books are returning and there's a new Karen Gillan book that I didn't even know about. That's not one of those other series he's doing. Um, I personally was pretty pumped about that. Agree. That was an exciting uh, thing to go back to my comic book shop and have something that I'm just super stoked on in an independent comic, whole a new original story to start from scratch. Like I was pretty excited in flipping through this, just the bursts of color and the wild illustration you got. I was like, oh, I cannot wait. Same. Yeah. Oh, the other thing was this was kind of a, this was meant to be an April Fool's Day release. I think we mentioned that already. And so they had the C cover, which was a virgin, would have bubbles that like were jokes and stuff and things like that. And so it was kind of a big release for them that they really got like, it kind of just went boop. Yep. There were a lot of copies of this at my comic shop when I went on Saturday. I missed the new comic Wednesday and kind of honestly wanted to go into the shop when there was a little less traffic anyway, um, because we're still you know, distancing and stuff in the Midwest. So, uh, it was, it was odd to just see like a whole stack of a new image number one. Cause normally people are just like automatic buy. I'm in the comic shop. There's a new image book. I might as well take a chance on it, especially if it's a popular writer. Yep. I wish this comic book well. Well, we should talk about what it's about then. Cause it's, <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you right now, that's going to be hard. So I, if you're up to the challenge, Caitlin, <laughs> I will try. Um, All right. So I'm going to have to say this again. I stumbled on it the first time. But welcome to the world of the aristocrats of the ludicrous, a world where you can be anything your ludicrous heart desires, but boring. Image describes this book as a collision of the fantasy of Dune and a mature asterisk, asterix and obelix. Um, But some of the folks that you get a taste of here are the Baron Otto von Subertan, Professor Hades Zero K and Grady the Steam Judge, who are all in attendance at a ludocrat wedding, and the plot only thickens at the reception. <laughs> this is like Animaniacs with sex and violence. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I mean, it's it's literally just like abs- absurdity outdoing absurdity throughout the whole comic book. The very first scene, the character is deciding that instead of clothes to a wedding, he's going to wear the blood of, of, a, of somebody else that's mostly some of his blood, but somebody else's blood as well. That's the first page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and he showed up penis naked and balls. to Yeah. Oh, yeah. You see, his, you see his donger. And then he's showed up to so many events naked that the 
ludicrousness of it has like lost a little bit of its charm. So him showing up in clothes is like the kookiest thing he could do. So he's showing up in clothes. He changes his mind. <laughs> and it, like, so the one thing that I did not see coming about this book is that there is a rich history in the editor's notes of like the insane amount of like characters that just seem like scribble doodles all have like little backstories and there's a whole history of the boring wars and why everything now is like needs to be ludicrous by law. Uh, so that had that going for it. <laughs> well, I one of my favorite scenes too was the, um, when you're in the wedding and you're looking out on everyone in attendance, there's just like a bag of wheat on one of the pews <laughs> and then like a full, like a full on Kermit Muppet. That's just like chilling <laughs> with like a half shirt on. There's Wait, all kinds. You of know, the bag of wheat stuff. has like a description of what it is right in the, in the end on the map. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. That's one of the mapped things. I don't remember its backstory, but the bag of wheat has a backstory. <laughs> um, that's just what just makes this comic book so great. It's just the little intricate details that didn't need to be there, but the fact that they are there make this so much more enriching and like just makes me willing to spend my $5 at the comic book shop. Yes. Does that get you past a first issue? Okay. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. There are certain things about certain authors who are um, very intelligent, not just authors, but just creators in general. And I would put like, Grant Morrison into this category and even Jack Kirby with like new gods mm -hmm. is that there's so much detail and so many characters and so much depth and history that with every additional book as a reader, you just get more and more lost and lost and lost, which is, you know, in Stanley and Jack Kirby's case was I, I I'm saying this be it's like perfect timing because I just watched a great Chris Claremont interview where he talks about this is that Stan Lee really helped Jack Kirby dial in his like big ideas and make them something that was easy for people to like really consume, enjoy and follow. Does that make sense? And yes. I think Kieran Gillen has like like genius level again here made like a huge world with a lot of depth in it. But at the same time, like there was so much depth that I just like lost myself completely in the insanity of this. So, so you're saying he needs a Stan Lee to <laughs> wrangle him in sometimes. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so here, I don't know. Oh, go, like go ahead, I know yeah. the point of it was absurdity, but at the same time, like I had, it was so hard to follow. I think, too, that knowing that this was a one of five, I was like, how, how <laughs> you have so much detail here that I don't. And I, I mean, if we're building toward like the climax of his like, like fight with his brother, who's the hyper pope and like <laughs> his, whose name is part like his nickname is Party, which I thought was kind of funny. But like it, it, it has so much humor and kind of that absurdity, but its appeal for me was more just design only. I kind of had to lose my 
confidence in my ability to follow the storyline or even invest in it because I couldn't follow it. So it was just like, enjoy what's in front of your eyeballs and kind of let it just be as weird and raucous as it wants to. And to be honest, that was kind of enough for me here too. Like I like it, I could follow it enough to like get the jokes. There's some fun, like on the node stuff in here. They've got, Casanova Quinn from Casanova, another image comic that I've read, who shows up as like a dinosaur and a g-string at one point. Yeah. I loved that they had an uh, whatever that's called, a cameo or whatever. Yeah, and the, even one of the the main character goes, "Oh God, it's a crossover. <laughs> Let me deal with it." Yeah. <laughs> uh, so good. When I think about Karen Gillan's books, like especially Wicked and Divine, I'm just like it's captivating. Like he tapped into something that people don't even know how to yet comment about comic books. Like, cause people say the kind of tropey things like, Oh, they really wrote like a superhero backstory that, or they fleshed out a villain or they made them relatable and stuff. There's something in wicked divine. That's like almost uncalculable. That's so interestingly good. And I kind of feel like he's so dedicated to that craft and doing that. And this is just speculation and, and I don't know. But so there's two authors on this. The other author I, I don't think has written a comic book. If I'm Karen, I'm like, hey, I got a lot of shit going on right now. Like, I'll, I'll kind of do this, but you, you do you and then I'll like add my touches to this. And I feel like the, the points where I was like, has this person written a comic book before did not come from Karen. <laughs> That's my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to speculate. I, I also think at the same time is it's, it could be that Kieran Gillen is just like tired of writing something that has so much like thought and planning into it. I think too, though, that that could be said for a lot of readers as well. I mean, maybe it's a nice like, like in, for somebody who wa watches like maybe a lot of the comic book shows, or even to make like the correlation between watching Grey's Anatomy and watching Children's Hospital. I mean, there's people who like both things, and sometimes you don't want to have to follow a ton of stuff or make have really high stakes stuff happen, but just be able to like not turn your brain off, but just kind of be able to get lost in something without having to really have repercussions for not knowing exactly where you landed. Yeah. I think that's a really good like metaphor because part of the disconnect for this book was it looks like a teen Scotty Young kind of like book. Yeah. Like Flapjack is kind of what I kept thinking of, like Misadventures of Flapjack. Yes. Like it's it's just Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then to be like, no, nah, this is like heady. And it's like almost Lord of the Rings in its history. And we're just going to jump you in with like these characters. You're going to have to like catch up. But it's also like super silly. I have not read something that tried to do both at the same time. And I think that's my disconnect, which is not a slam on this. It just was like left me a little confused at times. Yeah. And almost like had some aspects of like a soap opera with the whole coupling thing and like how they're trying to find him a match and in the midst of everything that's happening that he's concerned about, like if they're going to hook up or not and the way they had to do that through their society. I think Scotty Young needs to be consulted on this comic book and he could just be like, I could just reel you in just a little bit to like bring you back to like, 
I hate Fairyland or Bully War like type of like stuff that would be yeah. a little bit more easy to grasp. I read it with the the notion in my head that it's my fault that I'm not getting it because <laughs> because Karen Gillan wrote it. Right? If something that I'm had, not getting. If yeah. anyone else had written it, it would have been the author's fault. <laughs> Except for like your Grant Morrison's, which I think speaks yes. to the category you put them in because you're just like, oh, this is over my head. Okay, yeah, cool. Right. It, it felt like sometimes... I'll, I'll, like they'll say the New York Times is written at like a sixth grade reading level, and then I'll read it. And I'll be like, N- am, am I just stupid? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's sixth grade? Are they uh, are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe my sixth grade was real easy, but I'm having problems. Uh, and it's like sometimes I just yeah, like you kind of miss the mark. <laughs> they are comics. <laughs> um. But needless to say, like it was, this was a fun comic book to return to. Um, it certainly pops off the shelf, and it was it was not a bad read. And, and any like it has has some legs to it. The last thing I'll say is that I, it sounds like the peop- the boring wars or his brother and people who are trying to be boring may be may give some of a voice to some of the readers where you're they're kind of like we're tired of this. It doesn't really make any sense. Or like they have an opposing voice to that and they kind of poke fun or maybe, maybe are able to bring some self-awareness into it. So that could be what this whole clash of things is building to. Well guys, that's all I have to say about this book. Ditto. It was more than I thought we were going to be able to get out on it. I had no, <laughs> when we started this, I was like, what do I have to say? <laughs> yeah. We have Bad Karma on Panel Syndicate by Alex DeCampi, Ryan Howe, and D. Kniffy. Um, so just so you know, I know we said this already, but this is on Panel Syndicate. We, pa- we said you could pause and get it. Panel Syndicate is super cool. They have done awesome books. Um, I think this book will be no exception. I'm going to just say that in case you guys didn't like it. I'm going to tell you that you did. Wow, um, <laughs> calling it now. I'm babe it. Oh my god, this has never happened. <laughs> I'm babe roofing it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so th- th- this is this is bad karma. And um, Caitlin, can you you got a brief description of what bad karma is? Yep. Um, bad karma is a story about two army veterans who most likely have some PTSD going on and have survived terrible things both in and out of the war. Um, Sully and Ethan go on a Christmas road trip to, and this part is directly from the synopsis because it was just spot on and and succinct. And I was like, no need to frill it up. Sully and Ethan go on a Christmas road trip to free an innocent man blamed for one of their mercenary jobs. Yes. I have a couple things that just kind of kick this off. Maybe will resonate with you. One, when I, I've read a lot of war comic books and this looked like it was going to be a war comic book. And I was kind of like, I'm just not the audience. That's a little bit broed out for me. Um, So one, I was like really surprised to get this story because it's completely not that. Um, Well, I guess, what do you guys think of that? Like that juxtaposition or being a war story versus not? I think from the cover, you just expect these like two masculine buddy, buddy, bro guys. And that was probably something on purpose because it makes like 
the frailty of both of them um, and their life situations feel that much more, like, tragic. Yeah, I think one of the strengths of this comic book is that it was written by a female. <laughs> I think was that, like, it took a... Not only are they military, but they're also, like, assassins of sorts that are, like, bad family people. And it's like, this could have been very much, like, uh, action movie-esque and stuff. And instead, it's uh, more about relationships and friendships and stuff. And I think that I'm only saying this because Alex actually says that she's always been fascinated by male friendship as, like, a key driving uh, force for, like, exploring this as a comic book. And I think that exploration of male friendship, like, that's what was really touching in this comic book for me, I felt like. I 100% agree. It made the dynamic of the whole story really unique. That there were so many um, stereotypes and common tropes of what you would expect to get out of a story with war buddies. And um, felt like a pretty original take. She did this other uh, comic book that I really liked on Image called No Mercy. Um, oh, did she write that? I didn't realize that. Yeah. And so I was I was a big fan of that comic book. Um, and that had a lot of like really kind of crazy relationship stories. So like she's a really interesting author. And I guess she's done a bunch of music videos um, for very what? for various bands and stuff. Mostly like Amanda Palmer kind of that like burlesque kind of like genre of stuff. She's just like an artist in some ways. Like she is like kind of, and then she mentions that she wrote for the anime of um, uh, Blade Runner. <laughs> in, the, cool. in, the, in the editor's notes, it's like she like she's uh, like a I don't know what's that called. And and that the spec creative for what turned into Bad Karma is what got her the job. I think is what she's alluded to is that right that she wrote yeah. this as a screenplay first and then adapted it to a comic yeah yep exactly so um she's talented and and i think that like she took some risks in this comic book that i i have like rarely seen in other comic books to like there's almost no action in this whole comic book and even the part where there would be some action is directly like left to your imagination um okay. so that it's all about like the the road trip that they have to go to like i think we can caitlin talked about this but like they're gonna they're basically gonna be like this guy's gonna be dead because he got blamed for a hit that we did so they're gonna go road trip to save him and then their friendship and then the one of them's like divorced marriage and stuff it's all about those things um and the backdrop is like war and hitman along with right like ptsd and the the problems that they're dealing with now i think that's like it's gonna be interesting to see these guys on that adventure to uh, liberate this innocent guy that they're responsible for his fate uh, <laughs> while one guy has selective memory and can't quite piece his past together and the other guy's like completely lost a leg and, and half of his penis and <laughs> has that's a, a hard time that's a good one like, half. so like what does a uh, <laughs> what does an adventure look like with with these two guys they're very non-traditional heroes but they've got um the sort of back history that would give them you know maybe an advantage in this sort of situation but are they gonna try to take 
the guy's place? I mean, if they're going to try to free him for his innocence, does that mean that they're going to tell them we're the ones who really did it? And See, I'm not sure. And I don't know if the government is going to get involved at that point or some like organization that paid them to like make this hit and set up that this guy be the fall guy. Yeah. Like, does that become an issue? Like, oh, shit, they're doing what? Uh, yeah. So there, <laughs> there's potential for there to be a lot of conflict set up on, you know, what they end up trying to do or what they want to do. They just do they just want to bust him out. <laughs> yeah, because I like, think that's where some of the some of the action, I think, will kind of start to play more of a part because she doesn't just leave it to. Um, I mean, even the beginning panel reads more like a screenplay where you're introducing like all of the characters and even introducing the gun, like in kind of a funny, like action sequence way type of way. So I think that it's not going to be completely devoid of it. I think it's just going to have to play out as they're trying to accomplish this freedom mission of theirs. Yeah. The, the cold open and introducing us to that, like concept right off the bat was really great. And then the introductions of each character with like the freeze frame, like Ethan as his head's getting pounded on a car. <laughs> yeah. And e even that they like the way they introduce Cheryl is awesome when she just gets off the flight. And then my favorite is Martha, his gun. That oh, was, yeah. When it, cl know, it clanks on the ground and it goes, oh, yeah, Martha. Like a state trooper. Yeah. That, <laughs> that is like disrespecting his like AK that they found in the back of his car. And they're just like, ah, you just fucked up. And then they go ham. And you realize they've still got it in them to bust some heads. One of the craziest reveals is when you find out he has a whole fucking fake leg. Because it doesn't show that in the first part of the comic book. And he only shows it to get a parking spot. Yeah. <laughs> and like they're constantly annoyed by people being like, thank you for your service and like treating them differently. Yes. Yeah. It, I did like in the editor's notes that she mentions that she wanted to she didn't want to focus on like the flashbacks and all the bad stuff that is typically associated with PTSD, war stories, things like that, that she more wanted to focus on the more subtle and nuanced effects that it has for people who are moving from that and going forward from that. And we filled in so much of like the back history and what these guys have been through from that subtlety and nuance. Like yeah. you didn't really need to say a lot or explain much for them to just like have a well drawn like look or expression on someone's face after someone says, thank you for your service, like said a lot. That is, it, it's such a good point too, because I could see as an author, the temptation to want to dip back into that. Like Punisher does it all the time. Venom did it a little bit. That story, the Cape, um, from Joe Hill did a whole like series on that. And to me, I'm just like, oh, these flashbacks, that's, that's, it works so much better in a movie than it does in a comic book. And it, well, and it also is richer once we already know and care about the characters to go back and, uh, pepper their stories with more back history. Whereas when you start with that sometimes and explain why you care about somebody, <laughs> it's a little more tedious. We talked about this uh, last week with first issue expert Kelly Thompson uh, that, you know, too much exposition sometimes is uh, is a rough way to start a story and keep people invested in something to, you know, enough to buy issue two and still be interested. So, yeah, this, this jumped right into the middle of their lives at a chaotic point. And, you know, if we go back and revisit their 
back history, great. If we don't, you know, I don't know that we need it. It, it would only make the story richer if they do it. Well, I th- like the family dinner scene did a lot just to like uh, connect you with these characters because even if you like fucked up in any sense or have any like family bullshit in your life, like you you feel for these guys and and see them as people with problems just like you. So I will- I, I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah, the the passive aggressive like comments from the family like whether like i'm lucky that it's not my my parents or my um so's parents but like i know people like that and just all of the comments where they could have so easily kept their mouth shut but yet they're digging at something that's super vulnerable and quite a point of pressure at a family dinner around christmas time is just like "Mm -hmm. yep i want to kill this person (laughs) and i'm not even them (laughs) yeah i don't know this comment's good yeah, it reminds you a lot about um, things with people with um, addiction. And, you know, in this scenario, it's it's PTSD where, like, it can be really hard to um, understand where this person's coming from or deal with the their baggage or their issues as a loved one. And you can acknowledge that um, this is a disease they have and... Um, it's not easy to to deal with as a loved one like you know maybe they can't work but at the same time you're working really hard to make this thing happen and maybe they're not the person that you fell in love with um but you can't blame them for changing right um that's i think you get a a lot of that here um with these characters yeah, and I think they alluded to that this is like a long ass graphic novel. Yeah. <laughs> I think she said she has it completely 300 pages of it done. Yeah. Yeah. And that it went through so many revisions, so you know it's it's like got all the kinks worked out, it is ready. Yeah. And so that I mean that's what one thing about Panel Syndicate is sometimes they're hard to follow like when the releases are coming back out. But if you purchase a comic book, you should get, even if you just throw a dollar, I think even if you just hit zero, because it's pay what you want, you'll get an update when the new issues come out to you. So, which is kind of, I mean, they probably just do it because they can do it in their email client, but it's also a revolutionary thing to think about. If I got like a personalized email and I could just digitally get the copy instantly uh, for all the comic books that I want to be reading, it's kind of perfect. Given the break we had and... Um, the format of so many online comics that we've been reading and the instant gratification. Um, I see more room for this in my life than I did um, a few months ago. Uh, I, I still, I think this pay is you pay what you want model works really well because I have a hard time thinking that I'm going to spend, you know, four bucks an issue for something I don't physically own. Um, but how do comics maintain if I think like I, I would pay five, you know, 10 bucks a month for all my Marvels digitally um, as like a ongoing subscription thing. But I doubt that's um, the money that they expect to get out of people from those things. Yeah, I think the thing I like most about Panel Syndicate is it could be a grab bag. Like it could be like, here, we're going to make a depository <laughs> a repository for all of the like random ass comic books that people ever wanted to do. And then they're pay what you want. So who cares? 
everything is curated. They've only done like seven books. Um, yeah. All by like almost all by authors you like already knew or had other successes and they're fabulous not spared any art whatsoever so the curation on it is just like impeccable so it was great book to jump back in comic book stores are starting to be open and it was a fun read to talk with you guys about glad to be reading first issues again nice budget king signing off and Mike D also signing off to me. <laughs> but Caitlin Greg and Greg, and I are, Greg and I are just going to fade into the back. They're going to stay on. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs>